the idea for technology is how do you use technology to create an impact? How do you change lives using technology? And it's just the impact, the the lives that will be changed if this is scaled to like the next million people on the platform, the next billion. What does that look like? Ultimately, what we'll be doing is how do we create a new way for companies to get noticed? Because it's really, really hard for companies to get noticed right now. We want to build a company that is the preferred platform or the preferred place for companies to come to get noticed in a more authentic fashion. I think our approach to the problem is how do we reduce all the noise and how do we increase the signal when it comes to helping people connect to the right people. My name is Richard Mensah, co-founder at LSX. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laphart, and today how Richard Mensa created a new connection point for the startup storytellers and the media. All this and more on Code Story. Originally from Ghana, Richard Mensa was born into an IT family. From an early age, Richard was the one fixing all of the family tech problems. He could see the potential in technology to help aid in solving the problems his community was experiencing in Ghana. He loves his country, but he also realized that the U.S. has more resources for innovation than his home country, so he headed over here for school. He is a huge music fan, a guitar player, and a singer. He sees the correlation between tech and music and describes them both as understanding the rules, but being able to bend them in your own way to make a product, service, or song. He also loves to dance. In fact, he recently tried to learn salsa, which he mentioned didn't go super great. Previously, he founded a few startups in Ghana, and one thing he found was it was hard to scale startups past early adopters. When he met his co-founder, they immediately saw a gap in connecting startups, startup ideas, and those that are looking for interesting stories. They decided to build a better way to do this. This is the creation story of LSX. LSX is a platform that helps startups connect directly with high-quality media and event opportunities. And it also helps creators um, connect directly with high-quality experts, right? On our platform, we have experts from Y Combinator Techstars who are willing to share their startup story or their background and help bridge the gap between the network barrier that exists. So ultimately, um, how it came to being is that, I mean, back in Ghana, I previously co-founded like three startups, right? So I was doing college, doing computer science, and my way of as in solving problems I came across was building a product and hopefully making sure that the skills that more people can get affected by the positive impact. But what I realized was that with each of these startups, I mean, media, ad tech, HR, different industries, one thing that came across was that like you get initially early adopters, you get people like using it, but then how do you scale beyond that? That was really, really hard, especially in the early days of a startup. I mean, when I came to the US for the masters, I, I think I went for a conference in Boston and I met my co-founder Leah. And she's also been working on a non-profit to help amplify the voices of immigrant entrepreneurs. That's where we connected the doors, right? We were just chatting. We, our first conversation lasted about three hours when we just met each other at a conference. And it was like, there's a huge gap in this market, right? Because you can see so many amazing startups who have different takes on different kinds of problems, right? They have unique insights they're trying to go after. And these unique insights are not being shared more broadly so people can actually track their progress or be able to understand what they're trying to solve. And so they can actually build more on 
upgrades to that innovation, right? So it's like more like a repository for startup ideas or startups that have been ventured in. On the media side, we were talking to a number of journalists um, we knew, and it was like, usually when it comes to finding sources, they usually went to the same people. Same thing goes for event organizers, just keep repeating the same kind of people. Basically, we have interesting people here, and we have people who are looking for interesting people at the other end. So how do we actually connect them? Because there should be an easier way for people to connect irrespective of their networks or who they know, or maybe if it's going to be a paid ad, irrespective of the fact that they don't have enough money to flash a paid ad online. And we believe that what we're trying to build is creating a new way for that to happen, to help companies scale their message and scale their, um, their impact a lot more faster. So tell me about the MVP. Tell me about that first prototype you built, how long it took to build and what sort of tools you used to bring it to life. Yeah, the MVP was quite interesting for us. I think the initial thought there was we needed to understand the problem a lot deeper. But once we got a, a, a glimpse of what the problem was like, the idea there was, okay, so how do we create something quickly to see if it's going to work? So I think we spent about four weeks building it. Like we built it on Angular with a backend of Node and uh, we use Firebase for that. And I think our initial assumption there was that if we could have like a like a database of experts or database of startups, media folks would be able to like come on a platform and search for the person they're looking for and just be able to connect with the person on a platform. But I mean, we couldn't have been more wrong. So we didn't actually make sure we scaled that MVP. We built something really basic so that we could actually just test to see if that actually makes sense. And what happened was that it actually didn't make sense and we had to go back to the drawing board after that. Let's dig into some of the early decisions and trade-offs, right? With an MVP, you've got you've to look at a product and you can say, okay, I've got to cut this feature to get it out the door faster, or I've got to build it in such a way that maybe leaves some technical debt on the table to be managed. So what decisions and trade-offs did you have to make in the short term and, and how did you cope with those? I think in the short term, we, we held off on making like making long-term architecture decisions, right? So we just didn't want to actually plan what it's going to look like in the long run. So we actually knew what was actually working. And I think that was a good choice. I mean, the disadvantage of that is once, I mean, we got to a point where we actually start, started to see a lot of traction, but then the problem there was now we had to figure out a way to scale the architecture really fast. And it actually, I think we spent like a month or two trying to rebuild most of the code again, just catch up with all the depth we had incurred. The trade-off was quite, it was quite interesting. So I, I think we made a decision early on because without that, we wouldn't have known what worked and we wouldn't have, we would have spent a lot more time building the MVP, right? Because we would have spent like a month or two or three just making sure that everything is perfect. Um, I remember the day we were going live with, um, on, like in the beta version of the product, I was like super nervous and saw so many holes in the product. Like saw that this wasn't going to work, this wasn't going to work. We're not going to get this data point to work properly. And it was just so many questions on my mind about whether that is actually something we should actually get in front of users. I mean, once we decided to go with a simple approach, I think it actually made a lot of sense. So we we just went with that. And up along the way, we just kept improving the product to the point we are now, which has changed drastically since we I mean, put out the MVP first, right? Now we have a vastly different product from what we started initially. Sure. No, that, that makes sense. So, and that's a perfect segue into kind of where I want to go next. So how did you progress the product from that early MVP? How did you mature it? And what I'm most interested in is how you built your roadmap and figured out you know, what was the next most important thing to build? I think the roadmap itself is mostly informed by what we're learning from customers as you're using it, right? 
back then the roadmap was a bit blurry because we didn't know where we're headed so what we initially started was with that search thing so once we knew it wasn't working we just scrapped it and um, focused on more of the event organizer experience right because we also sort of like was a bit difficult for more difficult for us to get a lot of writers on board so once we focused on the event people um, we built tools around I mean helping them manage their events from I mean group messaging to auto downloading bios and photos and all that on the platform which they actually leveraging and really love so far then so we got a lot of traction happening on the event organizer side and we had a number of conferences use our platform then COVID hit then all of a sudden the events on being posted on a, went to almost zero because no one was actually posting new events they were all trying to like figure out what's next what happens to all the events so most of them were just being cancelled so that's when we went back to again to the drawing board we're like so this is going to be off for a while so let's we actually need to solve this media problem and we actually that's when we actually deep dive into talking to a lot more media people podcasters writers to see okay so what exactly are these guys trying to accomplish how exactly is this problem going to be solved from their point of view because what we saw is that there were so many podcasters out there who were pretty much getting guests just based on who they know and it was really hard for most of them like some especially if you're based in the midwest and you have a really interesting podcast it's like okay how do i connect with people and on the both coast about maybe a particular topic maybe it's blockchain and we've even seen podcasters who want to um, go beyond i mean the u.s and just talk to anyone around the world to be able to get their insights on how they are building a product from their point of view in their countries so that that's also informed our product decisions right there right once we started getting all that data, we just put it together and built like a sort of like an MVP version for podcasters and writers. And because there are a lot of similarities in both of their needs. And once we put it out there, we immediately had a lot of podcasters join the platform. We actually have a couple of them who actually use it literally almost every day to check who's new, who's coming to them. And I think one thing that on our platform we noticed was that the quality that we have that makes it quite unique, right? Because most com- most of the solutions out there is we, we want to put things together and get people to chat in a group on Slack or in a community kind of thing, and hopefully they'll figure it out on their own. But I think our approach to the problem is how do we reduce all the noise and how do we increase the signal when it comes to helping people connect to the right people. So that was what the next step. Then we incorporated that on the platform and we've kept iterating that to where it is now. We still have a lot more work to do there. But I mean, ultimately, there's still a lot of stuff we have in the product roadmap that is vastly different from what we have now. But we've been able to gather those requirements from talking to a lot of users. And the idea there is as we scale, we just keep adding a couple of more features to the platform. And, and one thing to note is that every time we're adding a feature to the platform, there's also quite concerning because, you know, with every new feature um, add, you're also increasing complexity, right? So the goal there is how do we make it as simple as possible so that like a user is not overwhelmed when they're using the platform, but then how do you also give it all the functionality they need to be able to um, solve the problem they're experiencing, like they're trying to solve with that platform. Well, let's switch to team. So how, how big is the team now? <laughs> now it's still my co-founder and I, so yeah. Perfect. So th- th- this will spin the question a little bit. So how how did you pick the co-founder or how did you and Leia get connected to build the, the product? When we met initially, right, um, I mean, she had experienced a problem from a different point of view. So I think and uh, my previous startup experience, I've also had the chance to go through a number of co-founders who know what I wasn't looking for in a co-founder, right? Because most people actually go with a co-founder relationship that, okay, this person can code, this person can business dev and marketing, cool, we're going to start a company like in two, two weeks. Like it doesn't work that way. So I think what we did was um, once we initially okay, understood that a problem actually exists and something we wanted to go after, the next step was actually getting to know each other a lot better. 
So we actually spent about like six months to seven months just getting to know each other, doing things that are not work related. So for example, we went to museums, um, we test drove our first Tesla together. I spent my first Thanksgiving with her. So we're just trying to see who is this person outside of, from the work context, apart from the skill set point of view, who is this person? Is this person someone I want to keep working with for the next um, seven to 10 years as we try to scale this solution or try to solve this problem? We, I think we got our first paying customer just just three months after we, we launched, right? Most startups spend like a lot more time than that to get their first paying customer. But since then, we've actually been generating very revenue on the platform. Well, as you look forward into expanding the team, what, what are you going to look for in those people to indicate that they're the winning horses to join you? We've actually hired a couple of interns back last summer, and we have another one coming in this summer. But I think one of the main factors for us is who is more about the fact that who is this person, does this person care about the problem we're trying to solve? I mean, we have a set of core values we actually look at for, right? For example, we're really big on intellectual curiosity. Apart from the fact that you're good at, let's say, marketing or good at writing code, what else piques your interest that you're interested in like learning? Because we know that the best ideas don't come from just knowing too deep about one thing. It's about being able to know a lot, a lot of different things and being able to bring it together in a unique way. That usually brings out the cool ideas out. So we're looking for people who can think independently through like depth and also breadth. Another thing we're also looking for is um, people who are empathetic, right? Because you have to be able to understand our users, like what are they experiencing? For the startups that are on our platform, how do we make it a lot easier for them to keep getting access to these high quality opportunities out there? Um, how do you feel when a startup has been on a platform for a while, but then hasn't got any new opportunity come to them? So it's like, I think empathy is something really key. Ultimately, I think what we're looking for is independent thinkers, people who don't need to be directed or like to be coached or managed, people who can actually run run the show on their own and who actually bring a lot to the table. And I think so far with all the people we've gotten, like the interns we have had so far, that has been true for them. For example, we had an intern join us last summer who was quite new to the whole coding thing. He was like a thing in his first year of college or second year of college, second year actually. And by then... I mean, we saw so many good traits about him with the fact that he was driven, he was willing to learn. And I think he joined a team and within like a month, he was actually making really huge contributions to like the code base and all that. And that is what we're looking for. Like how fast can this person learn? How determined is this person to actually come join us, solve this problem and make it a lot easier for all the startups and creators out there to connect with each other. So let's flip to scalability then. So did you build this in the beginning to scale efficiently or are you fighting this as you're gaining ground and getting some traction? We're still fighting it. Um, we, we, we never really had the mindset of scalability early on because again, we're still trying to figure out what is the right solution to scale. Um, this problem is quite opaque, it's quite hard to solve. I mean, over the last couple of months, we have, we believe we have like the right mix of features and I mean, tools to be able to help scale the solution now. So I mean, now the next step is, okay, so now that we have a lot more people joining our platform, um, for example, just last month, we had like 115 new startup leads wanted to join the platform. And a week ago, we had like writers, about seven or 10 of them coming from like different publications who are going to be using the platform for finding experts for their trend pieces. So the idea there is, okay, so now we're getting a lot more traction, we're getting a lot more people come to our platform. So now it's, okay, how do we scale this platform to be able to serve the next 100 companies, the next 1,000 companies, the next million companies? And so I think the next step for us is probably do a round of funding and next is um, figure out a way to scale what we have. 
Well, as you step out on the balcony and you look across what you've built so far with LSX, what are you most proud of? I'm most proud of the, the impact you've made so far, right? When we, with little resources, we the little resources we have, we've been able to do a lot with that. And um, there have been startups who've come on LSX and have been able to do opportunities and actually get into huge accelerators. Um, some of them have been able to get their word out and get get first few customers. So I think ultimately for me, it's like the impact. Again, going back to the five year or so, Richard, the idea for technology is how do you use technology to create an impact? How do you change lives using technology? And once that is happening, it makes me happy. It's just the impact, the, the lives that will be changed if this is scaled to like the next million people on the platform, the next billion, what does that look like? That is going to give opportunity to someone, for example, like if we had a startup from Ghana who came on LSX, which we are planning to do in the future, they might be able to access your podcast and also give you their cool story from the Ghanaian point of view directly from Ghana without having to go through so many networks. And the idea there is, is actually going to create a huge impact. Well, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. You know, we actually, there's this argument in tech about like build versus buy, right? So there was a point we wanted to have like a wait list. I think that was somewhere early last year. And instead of like, I mean, there's so many tools that are used for a wait list, right? There's Typeform, there's so many other tools. I think Typeform is the most dominant one, so many other forms, things. And we decided to build it on our own. We spent like time building a whole wait list system customized to us and all that. And along the line, we realized that we didn't actually need a wait list that was putting people in the numbers because of our business model. So we're just like wasted engineering effort, just trying to like, I think we spent like a couple of days on that, but again, it was something we still have to maintain and could we have to maintain and trying to make sure that it's also always like up to date and everything that could have actually been spent on actually focusing on the customers and on the problem we're trying to solve instead of just trying to create something that wasn't really core to what we're trying to solve. Well, what does the future look like for the product and for the team? Okay, I'm going to go really far. So in the next decade, the goal here is with a platform, we're trying to create a platform that makes it easier for people to find each other without all the noise right because ultimately what we'll be doing is how do we create a new way for companies to get noticed because it's really really hard for companies to get noticed right now if the, the channels are available at either through paid ads which are increasingly becoming more expensive or like having to know someone who is influential who wants to tweet or post about you or communities but again all those things are sort of like inefficient in a way because it's all based on sort of like randomness so I think the idea there is in the future we want to build a company that actually is the preferred platform or the preferred place for companies to come to get noticed in a more authentic fashion not just about ads but about telling the story behind your company telling more about the vision and being able to talk to a lot more I mean communities and creators about your I mean, your goal for your startup and share your unique insights because that is how companies actually create a fan base, right? Um, you don't create a fan base by um, just shooting out as you create a fan base by having people connect emotionally with what you're working on. Let's switch to you, Richard. Who influences the way that you work? Name a CEO, CTO, architect, really any person. Name a person that you look up to and why. I think it's my co-founder. Um, we're so different, but then we're so, we also think alike. It's quite unique, right? Like I'm, I'm more of the person who's like, okay, let's do this, let's do this. But she's more of the people and human side of things and like, okay, how would people feel about this way and this this way and stuff like that. And I feel like with her, it's, it's more like we're able to see a bigger picture of what we're trying to do. It's not like just me like charging towards something. Cause sometimes there are holes in my 
thought pattern that she's able to bring up and sometimes there are holes in her thought pattern that I'm able to bring up so I think I think she's sort of like the best um I mean, the best person to be starting this company with, right? Because I've been, again, I've been with a number of co-founders before and most co-founder relationships is just like transactional. But I feel like this is more than just um, a co-founder relation. We're actually building something that is solid, just united around the fact that we're tra- trying to make it a lot easier for companies out there to um, get access to these um, opportunities, right? So that's something that really influences me. And I think she's really been one of the people that always tries to put an input in really hard decisions when it comes to that point. And um, on a broader scale of things, I mean, I think Elon is quite huge for most tech people. I, I mean, what makes it really interesting, makes him particularly interesting for me is the fact that, I mean, he was with Tesla and SpaceX for so long and most people didn't believe them for so long till everybody actually woke up to the fact that oh, it's actually working. And the kind of grit someone actually needs or the kind of vision or drive someone needs to actually stick with an idea through all that pain and through the criticism, I think that's quite enormous and he's been able to do that for really two huge um, companies that are going to change the way um, humanity operates and I think that's really cool and most most startups or most, most founders don't actually get to realize such huge visions with what they're working on. Well, if you could go back to the beginning what would you do differently? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? If I was to go back to the beginning, what would I do differently? I think I would probably have spent time, I think probably building more of the audience because again, well, we didn't really have a brand back then, right? So it was like early on, we just started it. We, the first thing we did was start building a product to put it out there and have people use it. We actually were lucky because we had a couple of people we knew who were willing to try it out. but. I think um, the best way to actually build new products is you actually want to start with start talking about what you're going to build, build an audience around people who might I mean, profit or like sort of like benefit from the solution you're trying to create. And those are the people that um, you want to have in early, early on before you start worrying about the product. Because I think that's something most people, unless maybe it's a technical tool or like a dev tool, which has developers using it, most people just jump straight into building. But I think the first step is um, after the customer discovery and learning more about your intended users, you want to actually get them involved on the whole building phase and keep them up to date so they can actually come along with the whole story of progress, right? Because I think that that's the whole reason for this whole new building public movement because of the fact that people are realizing that it's really hard to attract customers once you build it and build it and they will build it and they will come is not really true anymore because like customers have so many options now. So the idea there is to build, um, help them understand what you're building and build, um, take them along on the right of the building and help them help them feel like they're part of the whole story of the startup. And I think that's, that's something most startups have to look at it from a different point of view. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it to you. They can't wait to show it to the world. Can't wait to show it to you right on the plane. What advice would you give that person having gone down this road a bit? Well, I think the first question I'll ask is, is this something you actually see yourself doing in the next seven to 10 years, right? Or more? Um, Because ultimately, when it comes to startups, you have so many highs and lows, extremely, like extremely fluctuating emotions in startups. And is the ability to be able to look at what you're building and say, okay, this is something I want to stick with, even if it's going to look really sad. 
And that said, I mean, once it's really bad and it's not working out, you should be able to pivot, right? But you should also be able to look at what you're building and say, is this something I actually want to stick with if it works out? Because what happens is once the startup starts taking off and people start using it, um, you're sort of like responsible for all your everybody else, the users, the investors, um, the other stakeholders. And is this something, are you happy being the one responsible for everybody else um, once the startup is working? If this is not something you see as being um, something you enjoy doing, you, maybe you might want to consider focusing more on um, an idea that you actually want to work on. Well, that's great advice. Well, thanks, Richard, for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of LSX. Thank you, Noah. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash code story for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.